It is a time of legend. The galaxy is in flames. The age of knowledge and enlightenment has ended. The age of darkness has begun. Greetings and welcome to the ninth episode of the Fires of Betrayal podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to discussing the various games set in the Age of Darkness, as well as all the lore that surrounds them. Today's episode is a little different than the normal show. On March the 2nd, 2001, I published episode 45 of the God Engine cast, a podcast that I'd been creating focusing on the Adeptus Titanicus game. In this episode, I talked with a bunch of my friends about the soon-to-be-released Warmaster Titan. On the podcast, I was joined by Mike O'Brien, Andy Cull, and the late David Coman. When I originally released the podcast, I was recovering from COVID. I was like eight days out from my initial infection, and I wasn't happy with my own contributions to a fair few other topics on the show. Because of this, a lot of the content was cut, and the intent of that show was to return and talk about it at length in the future. Although some of those ideas, things we will return to on this show, David will not be able to join us having passed away late, late December last year. As such, I wanted to do something of a bit of a tribute to him. While I was in Kansas City a couple of weeks ago for the Pyrex Amber Strand event, I talked to some of his friends, our mutual friends, and it was suggested that a great tribute to the passion he had for his hobby would be to re-edit the original recording, containing as much lost material as possible, and put it back out for public consumption. As such, that is this episode. Clarification, when we were recording this episode, we had access to two Warhammer Community articles on the Warhammer Master Titan. First was one published on January 23rd, 2001, the Warhammer Preview Online, The Dead and Divine. The second was one on the 26th of January 2001, You Thought the Warlord Was Big, Try the Warmaster Titan. These two articles were the only images we had of the Warmaster, but those images of the Warmaster had been fairly controversial. A lot of people thought the paint schemes weren't that great, and I gathered my friends around to talk about those paint schemes. Anyway, with all that said, we're going to step back in time, listen to some people talk about a Titan we all know and love these days, but whose advice will help us paint our own models here in the future. Okay, well, thank you all for joining me today. We're going to sit down and discuss painting and project planning, uh, particularly with a focus on working with the uh, upcoming Warmaster Titan. Before we get too deep in, I'll probably just go around the room so everyone can associate a name with a face. So we've got... Let's say hello, David. Hey, how we doing? Cool. So David, we got, we got Andy. Hello. And then finally, Mike. Howdy. Okay. Um, bunch of great guys, all from... I'd say all around Oklahoma, but David's not, despite... Definitely being a pillar of the Oklahoma community, weirdly. Yeah, I went from Kansas. Now I'm down in Texas. So nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with you guys in Oklahoma, but just not not going to live there. That's fair. I don't want to live here either. <laughs> His words, not mine. So um, I probably was trying to think of a good place to start. Um, let's start with the basics. Open it up, really, for discussion. When you're painting a model for Titanicus or a 
similarly scaled model. What's your favorite technique? Um, starting with like something that will work on an eight millimeter that doesn't really work on a 28 mil thereabouts. Uh, well, I mean, for me, pretty much everything I do on 28 mils, I can do on the eight mils. I mean, uh, the Titanicus army that I painted, I did airbrush on just about all of it. And then I went in and did all the trim and details and freehanded stuff on them. Yeah, I I tend to agree that just about everything you can do on a large scale, you can apply to a small scale. Um, I'm I'm absolutely all about the weathering side of things. So really, probably the only thing that gets tough on the real small scale, um, I would say maybe like on the the Titanicus size knights, or maybe probably just really on the knights, but because you could do it on the the warhounds if you tried it. Uh, would be either manual weathering or salt weathering. And that's just because we, we are working with such small panels. You, you're going to have to be very, very particular about how you go in there and chip that paint off. And again, you could still do it with manual weathering if you're using like hairspray or a water-soluble chippable medium. But using salt, salt is just... Even even a grain of salt at that side, at, at that scale, is going to be taking up a lot of surface area. Yeah, no, I, I tried using some of the technical paint, um, that Typhus Corrosion, and it, it's really difficult to use on Titanicus scale models because the grit in it just looks like small boulders on the armor plates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. I will say something I noticed when I was doing uh, the armies I did was that the wash, like I use wash to line a lot of my paneling. I don't know what you guys do. Mm -hmm. The wash itself, you have to, I felt like I had to be more careful with because too much wash in those corners really builds up fast. And like, uh, yeah, I agree. I had to thin my washes quite a bit to get the look I wanted. Tannik as well. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to thin it out thankfully, because I was just going back in there just trimming all that stuff up just from multiple layers. But like it's, it is added up real fast. Yeah. I think that's one also where like oil washes kind of, you know, would, would give you a little more control versus the standard acrylic wash. But again, that's, just difference in in how they function. They one gives you a, a fair bit more control, but yeah, it, ease of use. That that's also what it comes down to. Have you ha had any experience playing around with oil washes? Any of you guys? Yeah, I use them a fair bit. Yeah, David uses them a bunch. I've only used them a little bit here and there. I actually made one and in out uh, of like an oil ink set. Mm -hmm. It was and I I didn't use it on Titanicus. I used it on a different game. But it, it was really neat to watch it dry, honestly, just the way it dried. I'm, I'm giving some thought to trying to get a good oil wash to do the, when I get the Warmaster, because I think it may be really nice to do the actual body of the Warmaster with, to contrast the sort of steel shell, get a nice dark oil wash. One thing that uh, when we get into like the, the meat and potatoes of it, uh, my, my painting style recently has really started to transition uh, to more heavily rely on the application of oil washes, enamel washes, and and effectively the the overlay effects, where that way you don't have to do as many underlayment coats. You're not, you know, instead of trying to get you know four or five colors to get your base layer and get your you know all the transitions you need to get that perfect you know base coat layer, and then applying all the effects afterwards. You're basically coming in and applying that one solid layer. That's what your base color is. And then you're using the oils, you're using the enamels, these overlay colors to effectively distress that color. And then it creates that depth, creates those transitions and stains that you need. 
And again, oils are very, are very, very uh, excellent things to use for that. They give you a lot of control uh, because if you apply them and you don't like it, you can basically wipe it away. But uh, if you apply it, you can thin it down, you can feather it, you can fade it. Um, it, there's there's just there's a lot of advantages, but it it, it is intimidating for a lot of people because it's a brand new medium. And if you're if you're if you're interested in trying it out, the best way to do it is to just pick up a tube and of you know any kind of black or any kind of dark brown and just start out making a wash and just trying a few different you know consistencies, find one that works for you, and then going in and just trying a pin wash. If I remember, I'll throw a link to a really good pin wash YouTube video into the show notes. Uh, there's a great YouTube channel I've been watching, uh, Race for Terror, that does a lot of really good stuff with pin washes. I'm not sure if any of you guys have discovered that channel yet. I don't believe I have, but I'm always watching tutorials. I mean, I've been painting for a long time. Mm-hmm. Watch anytime I see a tutorial for something, I'll give it a watch. Just you know, there's always something new to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, re- I realized that this year is like my 10 years in the hobby, right? And I looked at models that I was painting when I first got in versus now and, and i can see the progress just from me just painting all the time and not having a social life but uh <laughs> but it's there's always something new to learn there's always a new technique always something else so before we sort of move on to the, the uh actual talking about the war master what are your guys thoughts about uh dry brushing are you pro it are you coming around to it soft brush hard brush i mean it's just uh, specific on the project you're working on it just depends uh i mean I would say that probably about 60 to 70% of the models I do have some sort of dry brushing on them. Uh, just if like, if you're wanting something to have a more weathered effect or something like that, especially terrain, um, I dry brush the hell out of terrain. Yeah. I'm, I'm a firm believer that only good brush is a dry brush or an airbrush. Like I, I mean, every night that I have ever been commissioned to paint, like the Titans that I've done, it, hundred percent. I dry brush all the damn time and I've only gotten better at it over time. I don't think there's anything that I've seen done with a dry brush that it, once you figure out how to do it and you know what you're doing, you can, you can do with a dry brush, the same thing you can do with a wet blend. Yeah. It may not be as fantastic and clearly use the best tools, use the best technique for what you're trying to do, but there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I cannot, I, I don't think anybody's going to sit here and say that black dry brushed with a dark steel does not look awesome just by default as a, oh, this is a basic thing, but it's an undercoat. You do it on a chassis and then you start throwing on your other colors. Here's a bright, you know, bright aluminum for a piston. Here's a bronze for, you know, this little add on bit. Here's some other things we're going to add on and then just start throwing on washes. It, nobody's going to notice that it's dry brush because it just looks like beat up old steel. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you there. I, I, I see that taking more effect, though, on like an actual like 40K size model. Like a 40K night would show that better than like an 18 night. Yeah. And that's just because I think it's just the size of the model and the effect might get lost the smaller you go. Very true. I'm just staring at this War Master Titan and I'm just trying to think of ways to paint it. <laughs> I'm actually just staring at it wondering like... Oh, you ever look at these models they paint and then just wish you could crawl into the head of the people who painted them and just want to ask them like, why, why did you think that? Like, what was your rationale? I'm, I'm, I'm more curious, like how this thing actually comes together and where the option, where the weapon options are going to be ma- able to be magnetized at. And I'm just thinking like the, 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 the armpit guns, for lack of a better word, like where the missile launchers are, 
like those are probably gonna be pretty straightforward probably something like a magnet just sinks in behind it and you're good to go but the arms i'm trying to figure that out yeah i could definitely see that being like a faceplate on those missiles i wonder if that missile launcher up top magnetizes I love how it's a revolver. I love how they come out with the Warbringer and it's like, hey, here's a six shooter. And then they're like, here's the war, here's the war master. And it's got like a, a revolver missile rack. Shut up and take my money, GW. Like part of me, part of me hopes that there's actually a, a different weapon loadout for it where instead of like the, the little vent stack out the front you actually get to put four missiles sticking right out the front face. And there's some other gun that goes up top. Like, here, four Death Strike missiles. Yeah. I really hope this thing has a melee option. Oh, that'd be beautiful. Yeah. Be interesting to see what it comes with. I mean, yeah. uh, I think it's more of a question of what the next kit, kit comes with, if they're going to do uh, like they did with the Warlord. Yeah. Or even if they just like a big box kit where there's a couple and mm-hmm. do the special yeah. order from the beginning, yeah. Yeah. First eight months use variant A. Next eight months use variant B. Well probably all the special weapons will come out through Forge World like they did with the majority of them for the wall. So is anybody else planning on converting the actual model, like switching panels and things out on this sucker? Oh yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, just because I don't want the eyes of four, I don't want the War Master eyes on the shoulder myself. I like some nice colorful Titanica symbol. I'm hoping there's panels like that. Yeah. So specifically, what I'm talking about is uh, the, for lack of a better way to talk about it, like the the chest loincloth that they have going on here. Yeah, I do something different with that. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I. So this is what I'm picturing. Pop that sucker off. Take the one of the spare shoulders from the Warlord kit, the part that goes in the middle. Slap that on the belly, and then actually put this on like it's a, you know, loincloth. And I think you immediately take this model from like a seven to a nine. Yeah, looking at the picture, it's almost like a solid inch between that loincloth bit and the actual waist. Yeah. They're 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 all about trying to protect that crotch, but they do not give two shits about the actual like socket pistons at all. Because <laughs> I mean, realistically, that thing would be like flapping all over the place, right? Like even even the weight itself would not be able to prevent that thing from shifting back and forth in my mind as this thing walks. The weight will make it move more once it starts moving, so it just become hilarious. Um, I don't. The bigger problem with me, I don't like these. Sort of what's been referred to as the earrings, those two little pendants on the side. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it until that, until you just now. That's he. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I reserved a right to freehand blazing stars and those things now. Actually, I I already know what's going to fix that. It just replace those instead of those stupid shields and just give it like an actual green stuff links of free flowing banner. But I just make it super long, cut some holes and tears in it, make it a little burnt up. And then you got yourself something awesome. Cause then you could actually, I'm assuming this thing's going to have the ability to have some posability or even if it doesn't 
folks are going to convert it. That'd be a very easy and simple way to actually give it the illusion of some motion with how those things are moving. This thing's going to be on the same base as a Warlord, right? It's not going to be a Reaver base? Yeah, it's a Warlord base. I mean, it's the whole of the Warlord base. I mean, it's going to be really hard to post it on there. I mean, the way it sits on that base on that picture, it's got very little room to repositioned. It also looks like it has tiny speakers, like big speakers, but tiny speakers on either side of its head. Yeah. Noise Marines confirmed. <laughs> you can eat a Mad Max guy sitting on, on that uh, the plate above the one above the head, right? Oh my god. Now now I, I'm seeing the conversion. I'm seeing the actual picture of it fa- like front on and the missiles in the shoulders replace them with speakers. Make the speakers on the side of the head bigger. The mouth, just turn that little breathe plate into a speaker. He's got speakers up above. Replace the missile rack with a platform with the doof slayer. And then you've got more. Oh, my God. Somebody take over. I'm, I'm going to be spending way too much money and time on this. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, my big hope is that those missile launchers on this, the arms are not the only option it comes with in the box. Because you can mechanically put quite a lot of other weapon options there. And I think the turbo lasers or something will look real, real nice. Something that actually comes out the body will look good. I'm with you. I hope those arm those. I, I, I'm going to call them the armpit guns because that's kind of the location they're at in my mind. I hope they have all the weapon options for those in there at least. I mean, even if the, I, I figure they're probably going to give us the those only the plasma cannons, right, for the arms. And they're not really talking about anything else for that. Uh, is it the revelator? Yeah, well, the missile launch on the roof. Yeah. I imagine those are probably set in stone, but I I hope they give us all the extra fiddly bits for those armpits. They'll make or break the kit for me. I mean, I'll be able to get away with it because most of the other options are stuff I've got spares, obviously in my bits box. But it'd be nice to see, not to have to kit bash them all. I will say, alternative to the uh, Mad Max Fury Road, uh, Emperor's Children, not Emperor's, yeah, so Noise Marine up there. You could also probably build like a small decking and get like a tiny tech priest to like be preaching. Mm-hmm. That'd also be pretty slick. Yeah, I think there's going to be with the size of this, even though it's Titanic scale, there's going to be a lot of things that people can do to make the model like physically look really cool before before they even get to the painting part. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just say, uh, for me, really, the only things I don't like a whole lot. I don't like the earrings. Thank you, Martin, and that that chest piece loincloth like you drop that an inch and put an actual piece of armor where the chest should be and i'm pretty happy with the model at that point i mean may want to drop one of the panels on the loincloth if you yeah drop yeah. it between the legs a bit more maybe just go with four or three yeah because you know that's not going to be a solid piece of plastic paint to paint if it is yeah well for me it would be perfect because like when I did all the the Titanicus stuff, I pretty much just built the models and I primed them black and then I airbrushed every single thing and then I just went back in and touched up stuff and painted trim and then did washes and everything and they were done. Oh wow! Uh, the only okay. one I left the only one I even left the panels off of was the Warlord. That's, that's about right. I think the Reavers I paint mostly with the plates in place. The Warlord, the plates are completely done separately. Yeah. See, I did it the most insane way I could. I built the entire model, panels and all. 
like I I I, I magnetized them right because I, I I did magnetize the warlords I did I magnetized the reavers and the hounds and I looking back on it I did magnetize the warbringer's arms but I didn't magnetize its giant carapace gun um but I put all the panels on because I just and I I didn't even use an airbrush I just hand brushed the entire lot of it just because I'm insane yeah. Yeah, well, the hand-brushing part, that's what took me the longest. I think I had everything from the original release, the Warlord down. Uh, I probably had every single bit of paint done in a week, and then it took me the next three weeks to do all the trim and everything. Not the trim. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I only work, I don't know, 15 hours a week on painting, so. Well, let's see. The Warlord I've just finished, because I finished it this morning. Doing the first coat of paint and trim took me four days of six-hour sessions. And then once I got that all done, I got the rest of it done in another six-hour session. There you go. Because once you've done all the basics, then it's just a matter of just getting that, you know, the highlights, the weathering and all that stuff. And that takes no time at all. But getting that first coat of trim on just takes so long. Yeah. Yeah, the trim is what takes a long time on these models because it's so small and so tiny and so fidgety. And if you go and, you know, if you have it slip anywhere, you got to go back and clean up your plates again. Mm -hmm. Not to mention if you do something like they did in this Warbringer's, uh, or not Warbringer, the Warlord's leg right there where they did that hazard striping. Yeah. Or I say hazard striping because even though it's blue and red. Yeah. But like, if you mess that up at all, even with trim, even, even when doing the trim, oh my God, that is a nightmare. Yeah. It's a nightmare to fix it. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did striping on mine, and that took a good day of the painting. Um, I mean, it's easily done with modeling tape, but... Yeah. Well, that's how I do it. I, I tape it off. I've got all the way from one millimeter to five millimeter tape. Mm -hmm. So I just, I spray it black, I highlight it gray, then I spray it. The only thing I regret about the... I, I did an entire army of murder lords last year, Legio and Interfector. And, uh, which their their paint scheme post uh, or during Heresy was black with red trim, and they had some like white flames up and down the body. I did... I base coated all the black panels, uh, trimmed everything in the red, washed that whole thing, and then I painted all the black. And then I went back and fixed up the red as I went. There are as I messed it up, and then the last step I did was actually painting on those white flames. Mm. And the hounds weren't bad because of those like big open uh, shin guards they have. the The one that threw me for a loop, if I remember right, was the Warbringer, just because of how like all the panels around its legs. Oh yeah, the Warlord was fun though. The Warlord's a great kit. Um, it's actually really fun to paint because it. I think it's slightly better than the Imperial Knight in a way to just get the the space it plays with without it being too big. Yeah, I really enjoyed the world. I was actually yeah, it's got those big armor panels that are blank, and I was able to go in and do a lot of cool freehand work on, mm -hmm. on the ones I did. Yeah. Okay, so I think the big question let's, is the obviously we're looking at the uh, image that they put up on the Warhammer community site. Mm -hmm. What would you have? Well, you guys in this conversation do, do to save its paint scheme because it's I think its paint job is actually really poor, um, even for the heavy metal guys. Yeah, well, 
I mean, I'll tell you guys the same thing I said in the chat when we were first discussing this. Uh, people that gray, they come that way, don't paint them that way. Um, you know, so I would never have painted it gray to start with. It's such a boring, like this paint scheme with all that gray, even though they splash in the red, it's just boring to look at. Um, you know, almost any of the other Titan legions would have made this model look better just, just off the bat. Yeah, and see, I'm coming from this. My my legion for Titanicus is Legio Griffonicus, which is like a gray paint scheme with yellow panels highlighting with a gold trim, right? And it's a much brighter gold than this kind of bronzy trim they did. Um, and I think the gray I normally do, even with Citadel gray colors, if I had just swapped out all these colors, like even the whites and the reds for the yellows, and swapped all the grays straight for grays, I think it would look good. And that's honestly what I'm probably going to do. Yeah, that would probably look good too. The yellows would just draw you right to it. The yellow is such a great looking color on models, <laughs> especially on Titans. Like I normally don't like painting yellow just because of how many layers I have to put down sometimes to get that really nice deep color. But like with Titans, I don't feel that because it's just it goes by so quickly for me. I love painting these models. These models are great. For me, I it's a hard it's a hard question to answer because Honest to God, I don't think that the paint job is is poorly done. I think it's an issue of composition, and I don't think that the painter, not even that, not even. Let me let me rephrase that. I I do not think that they took full advantage of the model to showcase it, and they went with a popular legio, which is what they tend to do. Because they they only they I think most of the models they showcase if it's not Graphonicus it's Mortis right it seems like so it, and it, since this is the War Master Titan of course they're going to showcase it as Mortis because Mortis was the big bad guys that that sided with the traitors so it does make the most sense but for me when you look at this the first thing that you see is all of that gray but even more so than that is everything is edged in this trim that it is everywhere more than any other titan that you've got because this thing is to the nines with how highfalutin regal royal all this extra stuff on it my first suggestion is if they give you panels that are blank use them if they don't if you're decent with a blade scrub off as much of this extra crap as you can because what what you're going to want on this is you want big flat areas that way you can add your own personalization to it and for me something that i have been using for a long time when it comes to working on my paint schemes regardless of color um, i will use sharpie i will mark on the plastic of the kits i'll mark on the resins I'll use it when I'm I'm assembling to make sure I've got a pose in the right spot when I know where I need my pins. I'll, and I'll use it when I'm just theorizing about, well, how do I want this panel to be? I'll, I'll mark on it. And if it's, you know, hey, what would it look like in theory if I had, you know, uh, those the lines over on this side? Or what if I had a diamond pattern over on this side? Because at the end of the day, you're going to prime over it and you're never going to see it. And it doesn't affect the paint's ability to stick to anything. So grab yourself a Sharpie, start marking on the plastic kit and give yourself an idea of, hey, this is what it's going to look like. You can blue tack the armor panels on real quick and it's going to give you a visual representation of 
how busy this model is going to be. And with this thing, do not overcomplicate it. Do not make do not make the eye more tired than it already is going to be staring at it. Stick to big blocky chunky areas and you know stripes, blocks, things like that. Mix and match a little bit if you need to, but I I don't really think you're going to be able to make this thing look bad if you paint it decently, like outside of color composition. But I mean, with these guys, it's mostly gray. They put red on the face just above the head, and then there's a tiny bit of red on the toes. And then everything else is just this blue-gray. And then they throw in a splash of white on the face and right above the two arms. If they were trying for the trifecta, you know, the, the three-point triangle, they could have put the white down on the hips, and then it would have been the head and the two hips, and you have your triangle. They could have put red on the the two arms where the white is, and then you've got a second triangle, r- triangle right above the head on the two arms, and that triangle draws your attention to the, the head. So I just, I feel like there's there's a lot of potential here and there's not a lot of work you have to put into it regardless of the colors you choose just do not do not overcomplicate it take some of this stuff away take away some of this trim so you don't have to use so much gold and it honestly if you're if you're going to be airbrushing or even if you're going to be regular brushing really push your contrast and your highlights i tell that to everybody that's kind of my my big thing that i harp on especially with like the small scale stuff the the contrast, the brighter brights and the darker darks is really going to help sell it, and you won't have to put in nearly as much work. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Uh, can I, I just want to swing back to the triangle idea because I haven't actually heard that a huge amount. Is that so? The idea is to get three points of color on a model to surround a central point of interest. Yeah, and I mean realistically they they already kind of have that if you look at the two banners or the earrings on either side of that head but you can do it with color and it's really i can't i'm not i'm not like a color theorist i've never had any professional training it's just stuff i picked up from other people who know more than me and can explain it better but whenever it comes to a model whether it's super dynamic posing or super flat basic posing if you can add three points of color of the you know identical color or similar color even if it's just a variation of brightness it helps train the eye to track to those points and when you can put them in that triangle configuration it helps draw the eye to that because just the way our brains work we look for patterns and it's just like you know uh jokes you know they come in threes or I, 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 that's not the quote. I butchered that quote. But. <laughs> it's all good. I, I will say though, I do like the weathering they did on the tip of that thing's guns. I do, I do like that slight little bit of weathering on there. Yeah, the subtle stuff is amazing. It when you overblow it all the time, which is what you see people do a lot, it just doesn't do you any favors. Everything that's on the red panels uh, above the head is incredible. The writing the really careful weathering they've done along the top. I love it. It's just a shame that that just isn't carried out to the rest of the model in a way. You know, I almost wish they had swapped the 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 blue or the blue-gray of those the eye panels with the red of the, the panels right there and just swapped them there, and I think it would have stood out a little bit better in my mind. 
Yeah. Well, I think I've now I've been staring at the model for a while. I've realized that where the studio really mess up is that Legio Mortis's other colors are supposed to be black, and it's become a very space wolf gray uh, that's getting fairly bluish. They yeah. knocked it. If they'd knocked it back a bit to make it more of a a black, it would look a lot better as well. Yeah, I can see that. Dead center on the model, like between the two thigh armor pieces and that chest piece, there's just a lot of. I mean, it's kind of boring in that section of the model. Had they even put some transfers on that, or or you know, just something? If if one of those hips was was hazard striped, even, mm -hmm. and then they carry that hazard stripe up onto a shoulder or down onto some of the armor plating on the legs, like that would have just made the model more interesting. But there's like a, it's like the top of the model looks really good, the legs and feet. Look really good. Everything in the middle is kind of boring. And Mike, I think you hit another nail on the head. Um, asymmetricality with these models is something else that people don't take enough advantage of. Um, it's very easy to want to make the model symmetrical on mm -hmm. both sides. It throwing in that asymmetrical design where this side of like this leg has the stripes or yeah. this, this left thigh is a different color than the right side. Those are the elements that will make it stand out from the rest of the units. And you don't have to do it on everything, but it is just something that's going to help break up the visual coloration. Because if everything is, you know, I can't remember which Legio it is, but there's one where like the all of the example Titans, the carapace plates are all white and then everything else is red or like a, a tan color. And it looks really cool, but it looks better when you see that. And then, oh, there's like some mixed up stuff down here on the, on the lower legs. It gives them more character. Something I was just thinking about staring at this thing is you see that on the loincloth, the red shield hanging from it. You see how it's got that lettering right there? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Honestly, when I get mine, after staring at this thing for probably like a better part of half an hour now, <laughs> I kind of want to take that effect of the lettering and just go up the loincloth with it. That would look pretty cool. And not like not like the same, like not across the whole plates, right? Yeah. Like a, but like almost like a staggered prayer kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like a little bit to the left, a little bit right, a little bit like a, in, like if you were in Word and you're just doing like a little bit of tabbing, just mess around with tab. Something like that, just going up and down like a prayer or like a lit or a litany of all this thing's glories. I think that'd be really cool. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm going to take this moment because y'all reminded me. Uh, this is a public service announcement. Be lore friendly. Add your Titan markings to the lower legs. Per the lore, every Titan has the icon for what type of Titan it is on the leg because the infantry and the schmucks who've never seen a Titan before because they're from the back 40 will think a Titan is a Titan is a Titan because that thing's big and that's terrifying. And this thing's also big and terrifying. So if you want to like outclass your opponents and show that you're also like super into the lore, just look up those icons. The, mm -hmm. it, it's super easy. The, the Warhound is literally a rectangle with four sticks going down. Yeah. In, they should be in every transfer pack. Um well, that's where you got me. I'm not huge on the lore for Titans. So when I did the Titanic, I pulled up so many articles online looking at, okay, where do these transfers go? Which thing goes here? Do I yeah. note which which legion it is and all that? Like, it was a lot of research into it. So, I mean, it doesn't take that long just to put a couple minutes 
into looking up what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've got on all my Titans uh, the markings on the leg. My man. At one stage, at one stage that's been really good because I've all my Titans also have a, a serial number on them. And at one stage they're all on the leg as well, but the last couple it's moved up to the upper car pace, but I don't have that. I'm not going to claim I have that. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> well, see, now you've learned, and now you can be cooler than the rest of the kids. Well, I thought it was pretty cool, though, like a fully painted army, but now I, now I guess I'm just not cool anymore. <laughs> That's not the standard anymore, sir. Damn it. <laughs> Everything I know is a lie. Full, fully painted is like the basic paint job now, sir. Oh, man. Is this like an orange is the new black kind of moment? What kind of podcast is this again? (laughs) (laughs) It all depends on the shades of orange and black you're talking about. (laughs) For the record, I didn't mean the show. I just meant the the joke. Ah, whatever. I give up. (laughs) Uh, um, So, I mean, the one thing I suppose we haven't really discussed is actually the uh, big guns themselves. I find the plasma effects to be kind of daunting on this model. There's a lot of it. There is a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually their plasma effect is kind of flat. Also, it's very monotone. I'd like to see some all the way, some really deep blues and some brighter whites just here and there. Um, that's just not how I picture plasma. I like to see the plasma that you know ends out. It's just kind of, I mean, it's kind of a boring looking plasma. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't make mm-hmm. me think a ball of superheated sun energy is coming at me. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you guys, but personally, when I think of like plasma, almost almost exclusively plasma, and I think about how, if it were real, if it would function when it was, you know, in, you know, when it's, you know, almost in standby, which is what this is, I always imagine it more of like a pulsing, but less of like a, not not in the sense that the gun is just, you know, generally pulsing. I think of it, you know, like, yeah energy circulating through a through a conduit so i would imagine moving back and forth along the coils yeah either back and forth or like you know at the at the you know from the back to the front and then you know circulate to the back to the front again so that's what i personally really love when when i see that incorporated into you know the effects and when you can manage that but in tandem with like the level of intensity of the brightness because like if it's if you're going for like this thing's charging up ready to fire to have it like super bright white but then have like four or five distinguishable lines of that where it's circulating around so fast you can still see a little bit of the the lulls there but it's it's almost completely different versus this one's powered down there's just like a subtle bright spot and everything else is just kind of that dark blue again me just getting on a high horse about technicality none of that is more no i i agree like i i want to see a little bit more to it yeah i think it's gonna be the really interesting part to see painted on this model because it's gonna be the i've got no idea how i'm even going to attempt to do it because generally the other plasma weaponry and titanicus has been plasma vent sections if that's what you want to call them have been fairly subtle on the gun there's not been a huge amount of space the gun is mostly the plasma vent section it's mostly this neon blue and that's going to be a interesting to try and get the color right on it i was just thinking you know i i 
I, when I did my Warlord's Sun Fury, right, I did it with the the blue plasma that, that's kind of traditional across all of AT. But now thinking about it and looking at this gun for extended periods of time, I kind of wanted to do a green plasma now. But I don't know how good that would look on this model. Well, and and honestly, like for some of the new painters, because I know that this game brought in a lot of people that don't don't play a lot of 40K. I've seen a lot of people that just play Titanicus and don't actually play like 40K or other miniatures games. Uh there's some really simple things for plasma that give it a really good look. I mean, you could just paint it black or I like to go gray and then dry brush white onto all the surfaces. And you could use the contrast paints and hit that and then just go in with a little bit of bright highlighting here and there. And that is a very serviceable plasma look that, I mean, it pops out on the table. It's bright. Uh, you could do the blue beans. I did an army that had orange plasma throughout the whole army and just that orange contrast paint over a, almost a zenithal dry brush looked really good across the whole army. If you're going for, if you're going the green plasma, I wonder if that new Necron green plate paint could be used to critical effect. I Ooh. I bet it could. Because the warpstone glow looks awesome for plasma. So I, I can't imagine the, the Necron one looking bad. It would probably be even brighter. I'm never gonna get anything done. I'll be repainting all my Titans now. Hey. It happens. It happens. That's that's how that's how we start new armies, sir. The the other thing about these uh, to get really successful effects with your plasma, uh, if again if you're going for that glow, you want to make sure you you overbrush your highlights a little bit onto the adjacent components. Like it, here, you, they've basically kept it clean and straight to the plasma. It could just be the images that are around and whatever. But based on what we're seeing, I don't really see any overglow coming on to the brass or coming on to the steel plating in the middle of the, you know, the coils. So that's another way that you can help sell those effects by just dry brushing your, your white or your dark color a little bit more onto it, or even just coming in and, you know, spot edging it in and just reemphasizing that, Hey, this is a glow effect and it's affecting the, the adjacent areas that it would be reflecting on. Yeah, that's a really good point, David. That might be why I'm not afraid of the plasma on this gun because it doesn't doesn't look like it's even powered on. There's no glow. Well, I've just spotted the problem, and it's going to be a nightmare to paint properly without you know going in with an LED. The armor plates overlap the plasma coiling, so you're going to get natural light shadow on the plasma coiling, and there's nothing you can do to stop that without literally putting an LED in or something. It's only on the outside, though. L look at the left arm versus the right arm. The outside actually covers up the plasma, but the right side or the inside doesn't. Or I mean, if it does, it's not as much. I'm only seeing like maybe one or two coils behind it on that side. But that, but that one gun, but one panel there is a pain. Yeah, it's almost like halfway covered. It looks like which, which yeah, which it makes sense. You'd want to try and give this thing some armor so you don't just get a breach in the mid fight. Yeah, but. As annoying as that'll be, that that right there is also prime real estate for selling that glow effect because getting that glow onto the trim and from from the coil that is covered, you've got the leading edge, the top edge, the under edge, and that curve that comes back around. And that, mm, if you if you can go in there, you don't even have to do a great job at it. Just give the impression that the glow is there and it's recognized. And you're already miles ahead. The only place I wouldn't know if I would do it on, on on this particular model would be the hips, like the hip panels themselves. Just because if you were to magnetize that and then you have a, just a glow effect on the hips, it might look weird with a different gun. Yeah. Yeah, I probably wouldn't spread it across to that. 
I never really do like on the body, like exactly what you said. If it's a magnetized weapon, I keep the effects to the weapon itself because it doesn't make sense to put it on the rest of the body. Yeah, it's just a random light effect at that point. Yeah, and I, I suspect you're going to be able to decouple the arms about what that shield plate is there in the main body. Yeah, I mean, looking at this kit, it looks like right underneath that missile, that's probably going to be a prime spot for a magnet. Like, there's that whole arm section will be able to come on and off. Yeah. Because I bet, I bet that if you build them proper, the, the arms will be able to swivel. So, I mean, that's, I mean, perfect spot for a magnet anyway, if you have a swivel joint. I mean, if it's like the Warlord, they'll... God bless you, Warlord kit. God bless you. <laughs> but I magnetized the Porphyrians for my customer, too. So oh, I, have, I have no clue why I did it. I was just like, I want these arms to swivel. I'm going to put magnets in it. As the guy who drilled 18 knights and put in one millimeter magnets in those arms, yeah, I, I have no room to judge. Yeah, I didn't magnetize his knights. He got them glued together. You magnetize night, Pistorus. Okay. Well, okay. I was asked to, and I didn't really have a reason not to. I looked at. It, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. And then I got the actual bit in my hand. I'm like, what have I done? I mean, that's that's the whole thing with us with us uh, commission painter guys. You know, time is money, so we're willing to do whatever you want as long as you're willing to pay us to do it. You know. I think I drilled like 78 holes minimum. That's insane. And it was just one millimeter magnet after another. Like, did I get the polarity right? Yeah. Okay, keep going. Keep well, at going. least you know they were strong enough to hold. I mean, if a stiff breeze hits them. Oh, gosh. I'd be so scared of slipping when you're drilling those holes. Um, you, did you look at uh, Kyle's Knights at Halo? No, I didn't. Every single one of them. Oh, my. Except the Lancers and the Acastus, because... They hadn't announced those other kits yet, so we weren't sure how they were going to match up. And the Acastus is one of those kits where I, I, I think you're just going to buy a box and make it a Porphyrion and a box and make it the other one. Yeah. I've, I mean, they've, we're still waiting on the other one at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, I can't remember the name for it off the top of my head, so internet be kind to me. Asterius. Thank you. Yeah, it was just fun. I will say, though, magnetizing Reavers and Warhounds is was fun though because i had to cut those ball joints were you able to get the cabling on those models or if you um did you skip the cabling on the guns i skipped the cabling on on those guns because i couldn't find a way of making it look right with the magnet rotations that you get um it's not i'm not knocking those cables because those cables are great bits but but they kind of just defeated the purpose of magnetizing because if i throw a fist on i, I made Fists for both right and left sides for him. I made guns left and right sides. Um, and the way I did the Warhounds was insane. But the Reaver, I'm using the Reaver as an example because the Reaver, the Reaver's turbo lasers. And then I think it has one for the actual fist itself that you can plug in. That they, There was just no good way to make that look right. But the Warhounds, I did a happy accident. I, I didn't think about it, which is how I get into trouble. And instead of just doing it like the Reavers and the Warlords, where I put the magnets in the shoulders, by default, my brain decided that I, I was going to do a really cool idea. And I magnetized both at the elbow joint where it, the arm meets with the gun and where the shoulder met with the upper arm. I did the exact same thing. And it was a pain in the ass, but it... It looks so good when you do it, though, because that was the, literally the day after I did that, they announced the shock lance and the Ursus Claw. And we're like, oh, well, this worked out perfectly. 
<laughs> uh, I still need to get my hands on those. Same. Like another two Warhounds, because I don't magnetize my Warhounds, so... I finally got the four Warhounds I wanted. I finally got, I got the last two in uh, this weekend. And now that I'm looking at them, I haven't put them together yet. I need to, and I'm going to do that all in one big session where I just build four Warhounds in a day and magnetize them all. I'm going to probably try and get two Lucius Warhounds printed if I can, just because I, I would like the contrast between the Lucius armor and the Mars pattern. I really want GW to make that pattern. I really want GW to make that pattern. <laughs> a Lucius upgrade kit would be nice. It, just a modern Lucius. So it's doable. Okay. Uh, I think we touched on most things um, about the actual Warmaster. So um, let's just open up for a bit of a free-for-all. It's the arms like techniques and stuff and ideas that we haven't really touched on. Um, I'm sure we've got some other concepts rolling around. Well, uh, I kind of... Oh, go ahead. No, go, go right for it, David. Yours is probably better than mine. Oh, no, I was going to say, I kind of touched on the, the main thing I wanted to. My my secret sauce that I wanted to bring to the table was using Sharpies because, again, it, it's not something I see other people do. I mean, even if it's so, even if like for nothing else, like you're trying to decide where to apply battle damage, you can come in with a Sharpie and like gently mark up where you want to apply battle damage. Um, not not gently, sorry. Um, I was thinking you can also after you've painted a model, if you want, if you if you come in with uh, if you've sealed it. You can come in with a pencil, and you can gently mark up uh, with you know soft pencil lead where you think you want your damage to be. And if you change your mind, you can erase it if you're again gentle with it. Yeah, I was just gonna mention the asymmetrical thing again. I mean, that's it. It really does draw a lot more interest to a model when it the same sides. Even if you did the the you know the front left shoulder panel in one color and the front right shoulder panel in another color, it really adds a lot of interest to models when you do stuff like that. I would say always make sure to add fun, interesting narrative bits like uh, lines of text. Um, some legions have like flame patterns. Some have a lot of hazard striping that they like to do. Don't be afraid to try those things. You can really build up the model's backstory and, and the weight of this being like a, a really impressive engine of war that's seen like a thousand battles and is ready for another thousand. If, if it has that character of a model to it, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and here's something where you guys can educate me. So these Titans, like, they haven't been able to make new Titans for how many years? So they have all been around for years and years and years. And when you're reading the books, they talk about a Titan that nobody's seen in a thousand years coming to battle, and holy crap, it's chaos, and it's going to kill everyone. During the Horus Heresy where Titanicus is set, they're still making Titans as we speak. I don't know lot about the heresy era you're in the you're you're gaming in the middle of when things are getting crazy 40k is the fallout of everything hit the fan and now now we're trying to scoop up the poo like a knight is a big investment in 40k lore right because it takes a lot of resources very few pilots are around i mean there are the noble bloodlines that you get those people who can control knights or titans out there but like a space marine is the common thing to use then because it's a lot easier to make it. it I, I took it during the heresy, like people were just chucking out titans left and right. Like a, a four, it was not uncommon for a forge rule to knock out like four or five titans in a year. Yeah. But like now one a decade in 40k lore seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean the pre 
Titan death battles, you know. Tit- there were a lot more Titans around. Mm-hmm. Side note, uh, if you guys who are listening have not read the book Titan Death, read the book Titan Death. That book is amazing. Put it on my list. Oh, it should be. It's the... I wouldn't say it's the best titan, uh, titan book out there, but it's, yeah, it's one of the best Hor- Horus Heresy Titan books until I read Mortis, probably. Um. <laughs> like, there are moments where I wanted to cry for these characters. I've not had that kind of feeling since I read Battle of the Fang and had Bjorn the, Bjorn the Fellhandeds in her monologue. Like, that was just beautiful to me. Any other painting wisdoms we wanted to part? Get small brushes. The trim on... The Titanicus Knights is insane. Yeah. Another shortcut cheat. If you pick up a... I'm sure you've probably seen this. I think it was popularized by uh, Spiky Bits. But if you pick up uh, metallic Sharpies, mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. use those for doing your trim. My personal opinion on it is that if you do that and you just call it good, it looks like hot garbage. But... If you do that and you use it as a base layer, it is a very quick and effective way to block in your base colors, apply some washes over those, and then come in, do your your extra steps, you know, your highlights and things like that. You can make it look really good, or at least, you know, pretty good. And again, it's all about, you know, working smarter, not harder. Just kind of, again, your mileage may vary. It's another tool. It's another technique. It's something to consider. Uh, I know there's a lot of people out there that have like the the jittery hands. They can do certain stuff, but when it gets to the, like the fine details, the the handshakes just make it near impossible to to make anything accomplished. Um, so that, that's one thing I would also throw out there. Yeah, I think when it comes to trim, the the single simplest way to solve uh, to paint the trim on Titanic is just just to spray your plates the color you want the trim. That would and, then fill, and then you fill in the central plates. Because even if you can't get into the very corners, as uh, Andy brought up earlier, washes high, go and fill those corners up pretty heavily anyway. So a, a black wash over uh, will, will help that transition really nicely. So, yeah. And it's much easier to fill in the gap than it is to paint the raised trim. It's harder to make accidents. So, yep. And generally, the Titanicus models are pretty good that all the trim comes on a separate sprue anyway. So, I would also, uh, I'm that guy, I always recommend everybody buy an airbrush. If you're going to be in the hobby for the long term, just go ahead and buy it. It's no different than buying a screwdriver. You're, you're going to have it, you're going to use it, and you're going to love it. Yeah, and I'll second that because David taught me how to airbrush, so... As the guy who sucks with an airbrush, I own an airbrush, but it and I are in a, like a long distance relationship right now. You know what, Andy? I'll have you come over to my place and we'll hang out. Look, I'll teach you everything David taught me. Yes, paint some dreadnoughts. I'll bring the beer. That's hey, that's all I charge. Yes, I am. Um, I haven't got an airbrush yet. I need to. It's just yeah. Well, the same offer goes to you, Martin. Anytime you want to come out to Yukon, you can just hang out at the studio. Even if you just want to try an airbrush, you can use mine. It's been something I've been meaning to do for like the last five years, but I just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. So here's some pro tip tactica for anybody who does not have an airbrush. Uh, Harbor Freight. Go buy one of their compressors. It comes with the moisture trap and the gauge on it for like 
70, 60, 70 bucks. And I've been using the exact same one. It may even be cheaper than that. I've been using the exact same one for seven plus years. Thing works like a dream. There's no issues with it. It doesn't have a very big tank, so it's good. It's going to kick on every, you know, couple seconds after you start spraying with it. So, but it's not very loud because it's a tiny, tiny little, little bitty compressor. And then if you guys are wanting to get airbrushes, I personally, I started off using Badger. I've been using them for a long time. I recommend them. They've started doing a thing where every year on their birthday, their brushes become ridiculously cheap. So if you can time it right, you can get some of their ridiculously cheap brushes. Your mileage may vary uh, as far as that goes. They're, I Again, I haven't purchased a brush from them in probably three or four years, and they've been doing that for probably five or six. And they're... I've heard some things from a few folks who have been buying them religiously every year when they come on sale uh, that, you know, obviously when you, when you crank your, your production and your, you know, sales from X amount to like two to 3000% of what you normally do into like a weekend, it, you know, certain things have to give. So just, you know, be aware you're getting a, a, a good quality brush, but it, may not be the same quality that it was seven to eight, you know, six, seven years ago. Not saying that's a bad thing at all. It's just, it's the nature of production. The, the same thing they experienced with Tesla when they started making their cars. The ones that they're made, they, they originally made were perfect. Then they started ramping up production. Gaps and things started getting a lot bigger than they were. And now the production has started to stabilize. Uh, they're, you know, the, the minor issues are a lot smaller than they were. Yeah. So. Yeah, for less than 150 bucks, you can get a really good setup and have everything you need to be airbrushing. Um, yeah, including the paints, or is do you use just normal paints? That's always been my. I use Citadel paint straight out of the. I I switch the pots into dropper bottles, a little bit of thinner, a little bit of distilled water, and I paint with them. That's it. Oh Lord, we can we can go all day on this one. I'll use I'll use any paint under the sun, Minotaur, GW, AK Interactive, P3, Vallejo. Hell, uh, some of my favorites are go to Hobby Lobby, get the Liquitex Basics, throw that stuff into a, a big plastic container with uh, the proper amount of water and dilute it down to where it'll go through the airbrush. I can paint terrain and models for days with that. I still have the three-ounce tube of burnt umber David told me to buy from what? Three years ago, four years ago, mm-hmm. and I, I still use it to this day. Secret sauce. I mean, that's the it lasts forever. I need to. I need to, if only for terrain, because I paint a lot of terrain. And oh, dude, airbrush on terrain is stupid. You can paint an entire table in a day. Mm-hmm. I'm all about, other moments. I'm all about my rattle cans, and then same comes to paint and wool, uh, wool brushes, but. Um... Having painted an entire table's worth of AT terrain with a brush, I wish I had done it with an airbrush. I will, I will say that. I achieved, I achieved a similar effect, but I wish I had done it with an airbrush so I didn't hate myself by the time I was done. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a table of AT terrain sitting downstairs that I'm halfway through constructing and painting. It's going to be the... Yeah. yeah. I'm in the process of building a pile of hills because I'm going to have a wooded hill table for the next... Halo, hopefully, fingers crossed. So nice. I uh, made a pile of hills out of uh, that spray can wool filler stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm 
been shaping it out with just a hobby knife and I'm now building texture on it with uh, wall plaster. And then I'm going to, I've got like 160 Z, uh, Z scale trees coming in from a um, railway place. And I'm going to put them over it after I've finished texturing and spraying it. So. Heck yeah, nice. man. That'll be really cool to see. Yeah, small little wooden trees. They'll look real nice. Be a nice break from the usual cities that get destroyed by titans. Yeah, well, and a lot of people don't think of that. A lot of the things that they use for the uh, the railroad hobby can be used for Warhammer. All the flock, basing, terrain, all that kind of stuff. Even the molds, they're plaster molds with like rock formations and stuff. You just have to find the right scale because there's, you know, a million different scales of railroad trains. I don't know what they are. Yeah, um, Z for Titanicus, you want Z scale. That's the 8 mil. Um, I'm not sure what uh, Warhammer is at the moment because it keeps on changing its scale. Wait, 40k has a scale? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quick question. Can I, can I throw a shout-out on here? Yeah, go for it. So, speaking of AT terrain, a uh, buddy of mine, Broncofish, one of the coolest cats one of the best painters online he recently came out with a kickstarter not kickstarter a patreon for his own line of terrain and that is called grim dark terrain uh if you have not heard of it or have not checked it out seriously do yourself a favor and go look at it um it's early birds already sold out so currently if you want to get on it it's 14 bucks a month but they are releasing some of the best Actually, I'll just say it. it's the best AT terrain I've seen, and I think it, I think it takes the GW stuff, and it it like GW stuff that they've put out up to date. Now that everything they put out all of these different kits, now I think the range is solid. It's pretty good. But in two months, he's he's put out stuff that is completely dwarfed what they have as far as like the the level of cool. It's it's amazing. I, I've I've already had him on the podcast. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The, the, this episode will be... I mean, this episode's probably not going to be out for another month because COVID's delayed my recording, but this will be episode number three on a trilogy of podcasts on the hobbying aspect of everything. And he's op I'm opening the trilogy with him with talking about 3D printing because, yeah, 3D printing's a thing and... He wanted to talk about it, and I was like, well, I'll get you on to talk about your stuff, and then we're going to talk about everything to do with 3D printing while you're here. And uh, Oh, I was going to ask, did he talk about Lauren as well? Lauren? No. Okay, so can I throw out another one? Yeah. <laughs> okay, another one. Go check out uh, Ethereum Miniatures. Um, I think it might just be Ethereum on uh, Patreon. She has some absolutely astounding 28 millimeter scale and now she's coming out with some in eight scale or eight mil scale uh some of the coolest kits and alternative kits for uh, 30k and just 40k in general um got her own custom knights custom titans and just just i like brain meltingly cool like to to say that uh, I can't. I can't. Like, I, I sound like I'm just like <laughs> running my mouth and sound like a, like, you know, over exaggerating asshole. But if you go look at these kits, I have I have printed out several of them already. The quality is is 
lit literally on par or exceeds Forge World's design team. It is ridiculous. And she's charging like 15 bucks a month and you're getting all of these kits on a monthly basis. And this is like what she does for a living. She's a one-man operation. That it's it's astounding and it's stupid. Like go check her out, go support her. If you see anything that you want and you were too late for it, it's probably on Colts 3D or uh, uh, I can't remember what what the other thing is. Uh, go look, go check her out. This stuff is just fantastic. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm getting a 3D printer is probably what's going to be my next purchase more than an airbrush because. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to print like half the stuff that Rudolph's putting out because it is amazing. That uh, that fortress he put out last month is just so nice. Did you see the stuff he's come out with this month? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a train add-on, so now there's a gate, and you can actually put a train moving through the gate in through the fortress. Yeah, pylons of flipping ace and. Yes. Oh my God. Like, what kind of insane man would have the idea? Oh, I'm just going to add on like power pylons. Yeah. And apparently, there's someone who's been, who was talking to me about it that he, he's made the pylons and he's running Kate actual real electric wires through the uh, pylons to power LED lights around the, the table. That is amazing. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I've been silently Googling everyone you guys have been mentioning. So I can kind of look at this and be like, oh my god. Yeah, I think the, um, oh, Bronco's stuff's great. I mean, he's a, he's a testament to the hobby, because um, he was the gentleman who created the Lazy Princeps guide that basically was my player pack for the Iron Halo last year. It was the quick, the quick guide through the entirety of the uh, how to play Tit Titanicus. I just want to I just want to print this castle he's made. Like that's just this giant fortress wall for a train to come through, and I just want to hide behind it in real life. <laughs> so there was someone on his um, because I'm on his uh, Discord channel. There's someone who printed out the um heresy train, but in for 40k scale, and mm -hmm. it still looks pretty good, even blown up. So here I'm. I'm throwing a couple of uh, Ethereans. Uh, one that I I've, I'm pr a knight that I printed up. That I believe I've seen people scale down to AT scale very easily. Obviously, certain things non-optimized, you're going to lose a little bit of detail. But man, quality is just ridiculous. Yeah, we need to talk, David. I'm going to need uh, some of those parts. <laughs> Honestly, just looking at that that Furion you made with the the giant arm, I don't think it is strong arm jokes. So, honestly, uh, what I'm trying to do for that one is uh, I'm. I want to figure out how to make a taser goad so I can just have a couple of these things. They're, they're basically a mid-size. It's called a, Mir a Myrtis or a Myrtis class, and it's between Armager and the Questorus class. And I just wanted to have a big old taser goad and then a big old crunchy claw. And the lore for my house is that these guys uh, specifically answer directly to the Forge world. Kind of like how the uh, in the Space Marines, the Tech Marines go off and study with the Forge World and the, or with the Mechanicum and come back, and then they have like this dual allegiance. Same idea, but these guys answer specifically to the uh, Forge World, and they're basically shipped off as part of a tithe where they have to, you know, 
they get so many of the the actual night pilots and silence that have to serve them and the guys who pilot the murders are completely responsible for um uh capturing and uh eliminating uh, specimens as necessary <laughs> that's cool i like that the, the only thing similar i've wanted to do with my night house is for my actual uh high high yarl because i have to do everything space wolf um I wanted to make an actual thunder hammer for him, like the actual knight to swing a thunder hammer and have it swing it one handed and that be the chainsword and two handed and that be the fist. Nice. And I realized that A, I suck at sculpting. B, I really suck at sculpting, so I can't make it. So I've been like slowly, <laughs> idly drawing like sketches of it throughout years. And I, I really just want to make a thunder hammer for a knight. 3D printing. Someone has, someone have done it already. Yes. We we will we will talk after this podcast, <laughs> and I, I can I can help hook you up, sir. Uh, I've seen one that someone made like a, a knight that was like a, almost like a Gabriel Angelos kind of style, where it had the two fists, and I saw it on Thingverse once. I was like, I don't need the whole knight; I just need the weapon. <laughs> yeah, I'll make it work. <laughs> that's the beautiful thing about three D prints is that's probably just a portion of the file. You can just like pull that thing apart. Next service announcement. Get a get a 3D printer, people. Elugu, Elugu Mars Pro 2, like 320 bucks on Amazon. Is that the one you're using at the moment? That's what I'm using because apparently trying to get a Saturn is like trying to get a kidney. Which, if any of the listeners have a Saturn which hasn't been used or abused and would like to sell it to me for, you know, not an arm and a leg. They're supposed to retail for five hundred dollars. You can't buy them right now for less than eight hundred and fifty. Yeah, pandemic. No, just terrible planning on Elagoo's part. But that's that's a story for another day. Well, before I start passing out with the uh, Corona coma, um, do we have anything else we want to add, painting wise? Or I know we sort of drifted off there in the the realms of three D printing. I I think we. We covered it pretty good on what would make the model look better and uh, a bunch of different techniques and stuff you can use. I think I think that should help people. I only have one soapbox, if I can take a moment. Sure, go for it. I, I go to events sometimes like everybody else does, right? Or it pre-COVID. And a lot of the things I hear from like people at the events and people even at my local shops when I come down and like wear a mask and bundle up and go get paint... <laughs> is they're always like oh man you paint so good how do you do this stuff the trick is like don't be afraid to try things guys always be learning always try and help each other out when i got into the hobby i had not one but two people just constantly feeding me painting advice like talk to your local friends talk to the people on your facebook groups get crazy with stuff try new things out you'll you'll figure out what works and what doesn't work faster than you will figure out what you're good at that's a hundred percent true. Always talk to people and tell your friends. Stop telling you it looks good when I'll give you honor critiques. Because that's that's one of the battles. Is everybody's like, "Oh man, that looks so great," and then you know they'll tell somebody else is like, "Yeah, that was okay. I just don't want to hurt somebody's feelings." No, don't be afraid to hurt your buddy's feelings. Give him honest feedback because somebody later down the road that's judging them at a paint contest, they don't ever have to talk to your buddy. They just have to write up a score, and they don't care if it hurts somebody's feelings. Hundred percent. Like that, that's kind of one of the last things I wanted to touch on as well. The, the biggest hill that I had to climb when I got into this hobby 
was I looked at what everybody was doing online and I would get simultaneously so motivated and so discouraged because I would see something and I'd want to try it and I'd go at it and I'd give it my all. And then about midway through or, you know, three quarters of the way through, I, you you hit that hump. You're, you're almost at the top or you're getting close to the top and you just, you get discouraged and you look at the example you were looking at and you realize yours looks nothing like it. There's, there's this disconnect that you have to accept. There's nothing wrong with looking at that stuff online, but don't hold yourself to those standards. It, this hobby is not about trying to be perfect. It's not about trying to be best or make, you know, if you if that's what you're gauging your enjoyment of the hobby by, you're you're not going to be enjoying yourself. You got to find the thing that makes you happy, and that's what you got to hold on to. For me, I love I love nights. I love hosting events, and I love the people that I get to be around. That's why I like to join in and do the hobby hangouts like almost every night of the week. I love doing the events because I get to see my friends. I've never, I've never even played in any of the events that I've hosted because I'd rather just BS with people and make sure everybody else is having a good time. And I love just sitting down and building and playing and painting. And sometimes I get things done. Other times I don't. But, you know, don't, you don't, don't hold yourself to that unfair standard. Don't look at what somebody else does and just be like, well, now I don't want to do it anymore because there's no way I'm going to get there. We all have to start somewhere and you just have to figure out what your process is. And nobody has the same process. I'm glad y'all backed me up on my soapbox though. That was actually really cool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, it's, it's the only soapbox that matters. Like support one another. Like what Mike said, don't, don't just tell somebody, yeah, that looks really cool. Like if they ask for feedback, don't just tell them that it looks, that looks great. Be specific. Like, Hey, I really like the colors on this. That's that's more specific than this looks cool. That lets them know that hey, at least their color choice is correct. Or if you if you if you don't like something, you know, maybe don't just come in and say like that looks like trash. Don't say, you know, that you know, that's a terrible color combination. Maybe actually come in and be there's 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 a proactive way and there's a detracting way. Proactive is trying to help the person, trying to push the conversation forward. The detractive way, the destructive way is trying to tear that person down for no reason other than your self-satisfaction. And we have all uh, like we have all dealt with that in school and we've all dealt with that at work. We've all dealt with that coworker or that boss who's come in and been a shithead to you when they didn't have to be. And how does that make you feel for the rest of the day? It really pisses you off. We don't need that in the hobby. We're supposed to be in this to have a good time. And with that, we will close out the show. It was a delight re-listening to this conversation as I edited it again over the last week. And I found a lot of the advice was still incredibly relevant. I do regret in many ways that we were unable to record the follow-up show like we wanted to. But this is the nature of life in many ways. Our tomorrows are never guaranteed. Anyway, tomorrow we'll be looking at the fantastic new book, The Siege of Gathonia. Until then, I wish you all well and good fortune.
please subscribe to the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. And we will see you in two weeks. If you have any questions for the show, please email us at firesofbetrayal at gmail.com or reach out through our social media account or at the respective owners. Until next time, we wish you all good fortune.